Hello, everyone. Welcome to Crag Gals, a podcast where we are gals talking about crags. My name is Carolyn. I am a third year here at Penn State University and uh, majoring in film production with my co-host, Emma. Emma, who are you? Hello, my name is Emma. As introduced last podcast episode, I am a third year biology major here at PSU. Woo! Emma, what's our spontaneous fun fact for the day? Oh, gosh. Uh, I am very excited that it's spooky season mm. and I love fall fashion. You love fall fashion. <laughs> what is your favorite fall fit? That That's our spontaneous fun fact. What is your favorite oh, fall fit? That's really, really, really hard. I really like wool sweaters. Wool sweaters? With jeans. Okay. Yeah. Wool sweaters. Um, nice, nice. I am a flannel top hoodie t-shirt underneath, like base layer, mm-hmm. and then I got jeans and then combat boots or Tim's. Oh yeah, there so you go. That's you my favorite the boots. Like like the frat boy fall fit. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the all all the dudes who are in the bass fishing club. Oh my god, please <laughs> don't make fun of the bass fishing club right now. <laughs> we should have them on the podcast. Honestly. What do you think about like climbing? And then we like, uh Well, they were next to us that's at true. Involvement Fair. So mm-hmm. pretty cool dudes. Yeah. Actually, yeah, they were they were pretty cool. So yeah, we've officially reached cold weather here at Penn State University. I'm in love, even though I'm in shorts today. Um, yeah, I am feeling I'm feeling pretty good about this chillier weather. I normally yeah. don't like the cold, but I'm not hating it today. No, yeah, sure. definitely. It's much needed. So with all of that out of the way, let's head into our climbing news section. Woohoo! Woo. Emma. Yeah, so I found a cool story today um, that Climbing.com released. Every year, the Access Fund, which is a uh, national body of climbers who basically make climbing more accessible, specifically Mm -hmm. outdoor spaces, and that can be through, you know, buying land to make it more accessible to climbers or restoring certain areas to make those areas easier to climb at. And Access Fund just awarded uh, $30,000 plus in conservation grants to various local organizations throughout the U.S. to make climbing more accessible in each of their neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just looked through the the article really quick, and there were two two groups that kind of stood out to me as being pretty pretty cool to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first one are the Friends of Cedar Mesa. Number three, uh, the Friends of Cedar Mesa, um, it's titled Visit with Respect at Indian Creek Climbing Area. So Indian Creek is an international climbing destination, um, but it is also an area with sacred cultural sites for various indigenous tribes. A word? Yeah, which I think is pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. This includes stuff like rock art, artifacts, and various ancestral sites. Mm-hmm. So the Friends of Cedar Mesa um, were granted some money to basically educate their community about how to be respectful around these indigenous sites and um, leave as little impact as possible around the area. Nice. So I think it's, I think this is cool because it's it's important to acknowledge the people who lived here before any of us did. Yeah, um, exactly. And you know the the Native American voice is not often heard mm-hmm. in mainstream climbing today. So I thought this was yeah. pretty cool that they did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, there's not many native american climbers to begin with um and i think it's really cool that they seek to like educate other like climbers who go into these places that are indigenous communities and they're like here's how you like don't screw with other people's land yeah essentially um i think that's a topic that needs to be talked about a little bit more today 
but yeah good stuff yeah um, cool um and then the other one that i found worth noting was um i don't know if you've ever been down to the new river gorge carolyn i've not uh not it's yet. it is a beautiful climbing location i've been i was fortunate enough to go a few summers ago um and i actually did some climbing around summersville lake which is a, a very popular climbing location in the new river gorge but the access fund recently gave the new river alliance of climbers um some money to um, initiate a wag bag program what is a wag bag a wag bag what what do you think a wag bag is carolyn i don't know what a wag was it <laughs> a wag bag uh is that like what you like put all your 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 human stuff in yeah it yeah. is it is a it is a waste bag yeah. to making sure you're not you know using the outdoors as your restroom too liberally <laughs> <laughs> and yeah there's apparently been some some pretty big issues down there re- regarding human waste and oh, and, and okay. people not disposing of waste properly Mm -hmm. and so this wag bag initiative um they're gonna set up various stations around summersville lake and local areas in the in the gorge and uh hopefully it will just help climbers to keep the place a little bit more clean yeah awesome good stuff good stuff i know like we've been recently talking about this because me and emma and some others are going on a camping trip pretty soon Mm -hmm. um and jj not our producer but our president was like Carolyn, what are we going to do about... Did he really ask you that? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, He was like, what do we do like for showering? And I was like, you go on a lake and you you take a thing of soap with you and you just kind of... That's really funny they said that. Yeah. (laughs) That's hilarious. And he was like, I have to go on a lake naked. And I was like, (laughs) you are in the wild, my guy. I mean... You know, full transparency, not showering for two days, three days is not that bad, especially if you're in the outdoors. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we'll definitely have to... No, and I told I, him. Yeah, what's what's your routine for like staying clean? Well, like while camping, do you have one? Mm, I I bring like facial wipes yeah. and kind of just like wipe down the sweat in various yeah. places. But otherwise, I just kind of layer up and hope people can't really smell me. <laughs> <laughs> I um I use baby wipes. Yeah, so, like I'll yeah. get like the the non fragrant fragrant. I'll get the non fragrant um baby wipes from Target. Like they're like the little like teal packs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um that are of, like twenty five and I'll just like use like all of those. Yeah. Um just kinda like, give myself like a mini shower and he really liked that idea. He was like, That's a really good idea. Yeah. I was like <laughs> get your baby wipes yeah exactly um, yeah i mean i always forget i mean this kind of gets off topic a little bit but yeah I, I often forget that if you're not you know in the outdoor world as deep things like going and sleeping in a tent seems very daunting yeah. right it's like <laughs> i mean it's almost like climbing in a sense right like if you're in the world for so long yeah people who are not in the world like it seems like a big daunting yeah. activity 100 mm-hmm. percent. all right but yeah definitely wag state wag bag stations Sounds good. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of like like the dog the dog bag station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just for humans. Yeah, for humans. <laughs> All right. And then our next story is about Patagonia famously giving away their company. Yeah. Um, this was a story that was released last week, and when I first saw it, I was like, "What? What, what does that even mean? Like, how do you give away your company?" Um. So this article that I have from the New York Times, um, from author david jealous or gellis gels who knows uh headline is billionaire no more patagonia founder gives away the company um so basically the founder of of um patagonia a very famous like outdoor brand uh yvonne um chunard chunard i was like <laughs> chowinard <laughs> um, very very unique name yeah yeah chunard um patagonia is valued at three billion dollars um, and they eventually they decided to put that value of the company and give it all 
to um, a specifically designed trust and nonprofit organization also owned by Patagonia. And their hope is that so um, in order to kind of like prevent climate change or help not play into climate change as much, this org like Patagonia will still remain as a company. But essentially what they're doing is that all of the profits go to this trust fund now. So essentially uh, Yvonne is not making any money. Kind of. I believe that's what I'm getting from this. Yeah, they're, they're definitely going to be minimizing their profit. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, um, 100%. But something that I found very unique about this situation is them doing that honestly makes me want to support them more and buy yeah. their stuff more. Mm -hmm. So this in kind of a backwards way was still a pretty good marketing. Like I know it wasn't intended to be yeah, a marketing strategy, yeah. but if I am now looking at, you know, a $50 t-shirt from North Face versus a $50 t-shirt from Patagonia because Patagonia has, has re-diverted their money to other more important things, in my opinion, yeah. I'm more likely going to support them. And mm -hmm. so I think this actually, you know, is positive in many ways for the company. Yeah. Same here. I had the same positive reaction, but like, especially like because I was researching it today, um, I do have a little bit of skepticism just because like it is going to a nonprofit of like the same company, arguably. And part of me is like, like, what if? But at the same time, like we'll truly never know until evidence is prevent is presented otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's fair to like say to a company like, oh, you're going to do this. Like, therefore, I won't support you. Um, he's being very open about it. And the fact that even like Yvonne was very transparent about like even releasing a statement on Patagonia's website basically saying what was happening because I when I when he said that he's giving away the company I was like can I not buy Patagonia anymore like, what's going on? <laughs> uh so yeah yeah and I think you know it's funny I actually knew Yvonne Chouinard's name before I knew that he was the owner of Patagonia oh really and it's How? because of the Sender Films movie Valley oh, Uprising right. mm -hmm. and Yvonne plays a big role in some of the earlier years of climbing yes. mm -hmm. in Yosemite Valley mm -hmm. um, and coming to then understand and learn that he was the founder of Patagonia after knowing who he was as a climber so you know my my I guess understanding of him and his company has been backwards for most people and so mm -hmm. I, I knew him first as a climber and yeah. so that's why this decision for me is less shocking than I think it is for a lot of people because yeah. people probably see him just, just as a business owner mm -hmm. whereas I knew him as a climber first and so yeah. that this is kind of a, a a cool decision that he made in my mind yeah definitely for me like it was like I knew him as Patagonia first and then I knew him as a rock climber but still like it takes a lot to kind of know like it takes like they're like rock climbers can be multiple things. I'm a rock climber who happens to also be a filmmaker, and I was a filmmaker before I was a rock climber. You know, you're somebody who was like always into like environmental science and stuff like before or after mm -hmm. I don't know like rock climbing, yeah, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So like, um, it's really cool to see him kind of do like this almost backwards business move. And mm -hmm. I really hope it works out. Honestly. I do too. I yeah. really do. Like, I hope it doesn't put them under or anything. Yeah, like, it does take a lot to run a company. Um, and at the very least, mm -hmm. I hope this inspires other larger companies yeah. to do like like companies like the North Face, mm -hmm. who are not necessarily known for their environmental impact in a positive way. Yeah, so I definitely. Think, I think this will inspire other bigger corporations to do the same and see that Patagonia's model is can still be successful mm -hmm. while you know contributing back to the things that are most important yeah and i hope um this also kind of brings like more like accountability within like the climate change like business you know venn diagram oftentimes too many we see so many companies trying to like give this like 
we're all about climate change like once mm. a month like around like Earth greenwashing Day. yeah like greenwashing, greenwashing. um and like I, I i only have one example of this but there was um a detergent that like was like we're eco-friendly <laughs> and it was like the outside was like, like a cardboard box right yeah and then on the inside was like this plastic that like held the the detergent yeah and it gave like this false kind of yeah. look you know yeah so i hope um patagonia kind of steers steers other companies and saying like this is going to be the popular mm-hmm. way, the way to do it if you want to be a company that is seen as a climate change you know preventing company you have to do this or something like this right you you, you can't know? just say this is like we're we're at the uh, we're at the part now where like actions do speak louder than words oh yeah 100 so. percent. when the weather is changing like <laughs> i'm like are we gonna do something or are we gonna yep. keep talking exactly exactly <laughs> so yeah um and then it's a little quote from the article um quote in august the family Ereco v transferred all of the company's voting stock equivalent to two percent of the overall shares into a newly established entity known as the patagonia purpose trust so that i believe oh end quote that i believe is probably what's going to be like this kind of like nonprofit, the pa- the patagonia uh purpose mm, trust yeah which honestly i think it's a good name <laughs> yeah it sounds very cool quote the trust uh which is will be overseen by members of the family and their closest advisors is intended to ensure that patagonia makes good on its commitment to run a socially responsible business that gives away its profits because of the chalonards donated their shares to a trust the family the family will pay about 17.5 million dollars in taxes on the gift yeah, that's definitely a big sacrifice that they're making, yeah. but I, I do think it is is for the better. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have any issues with it. No, no, <laughs> I just feel kind of bad because they have to pay taxes on that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, um, if you would like to read um, the article that we are talking about today, it, everything will be linked in the description of this podcast. Um, or if you just want to go into Google and type in Patagonia and new, gives away company New York Times, it should be the first one that pops yeah. up. All right awesome stuff hope it'll work yeah yeah me as well all right and now on to our weekly climbing accident yeah so i found a fun well fun relatively speaking it's not fun but it's fun in the sense that no one really gets truly injured this is a story about why it's important to be mindful of what your gear is doing Mm -hmm. if that makes sense specifically carabiners and specifically carabiners with screw gates yeah um so just for a little bit of background um most carabiners that are used as life supporting devices um are screw gate which means that um, you kind of screw them up or screw them down and it locks into place. Yeah. And so when the screw gate is in the correct location, it will prevent the carabiner from opening. But this story that I'm about to share is um, about a climber who did not um, appropriately check that their screw yeah. gate was in the correct position at all times of their climb. And it, it could have ended um, quite fatally. And it, it fortunately did not. It, it could have definitely ended worse. So yeah, um, this interview comes from climbing um which i think is part of the outside magazine oh really like corporation but again it is from climbing.com mm-hmm. um so the title is interview will gad on making a near fatal gear mistake so it looks like will gad was climbing at helmican falls which looks like it is in british columbia um i know that there's a lot of beautiful climbing in british columbia 
um, in Canada in general too. Mm-hmm. But um, this specific part, they were climbing a very famous ice and mixed route. Um, so both rock and ice. And so you need to have a lot of skills there to do that. Yep. Um, so this is a 200 meter or 650 foot M13 plus, which is what it was graded, which I believe is an either mixed climbing or ice climbing rating. It's mixed. I am we fully don't saying that I have very lim- limited knowledge yeah. on mix and ice climbing. The only experience that we have in terms of ice climbing is competing with each other to see who can do a figure four <laughs> on little plastic holds at our local climbing gym. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes, full warning, I do not have ice climbing knowledge, Neither but I, I have decided to report on this anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, so this was a 650-foot M13 plus graded route. Uh, in Helmican Falls, and yeah, let's get right into it. So uh, the article talks about what Gad's mistake was. So mm-hmm. this is straight from the from the article. Um, quote: Before appelling down from the cave to bolt the final pitches, he gave his personal grigri and carabiner, which is a triple locker, to a member of the film crew, rationalizing that as a professional mountain athlete, he was better equipped to manage the risk. Um, obviously, that was not true. Gad said in our interview. So. Even right there, yeah, being able to assess, right, like like being over over precautious is probably better than not, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, you can know as much as you can possibly know, but when you're in the outdoors, you never know what's going to happen. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, and so uh, it was negative twenty two degrees Fahrenheit, and he found himself after a number of hours of cleaning loose rock and placing bolts, um, v- very very cold. Um, he then had to repel the rest of the severely overhanging wall, a laborious process that involved wrapping the length of a rope, uh, drumaring back up to the next lowering anchor, and then wrapping again, all while cleaning off ice ropes. So, I mean, this seems like a crazy tiring process in the yeah. first place. So it's, I guess, sort of understandable why it would have been hard to keep in mind that you have to check your gear all the time. But if, you know, if, if you go into that, um, you know, blase mindset and attitude and you don't remember to check everything this is one bad thing that can happen yeah um so to the meat of the story so during that process he forgot to monitor the borrowed screw gate carabiner which came unlocked and then got stuck open oh yeah uh so when he looked down he found that his grigri was resting in the nose of an open carabiner the only thing separating his life from his death was an eighth of an inch of a carabiner That's gate freaky like you showed me this article and i was like oh like Grigri mistake. Like, I'm, you guys will find out that I'm very, like, anti Grigri. I am personally, like, a pilot <laughs> or a mammoth smart person. I thought, like, like, I didn't even get to that part where I thought it was open. I thought, like, it just all completely fell off and he fell a little bit. But, yeah. No, oh, no. Because if it had come off, that was his life support. Oh, right yeah. There. 100%. So, like, there's no backup after yeah. that. So, like, you're telling me, um, like, it's on, like, his belay loop and, like, the, the Grigri is just like, like on the little nose yeah so the nose of the carabiner is the if you were to hold a carabiner and kind of like hold it as if you were about to open the gate Mm -hmm. um that kind of hooked part that that comes down comes down that that big thick part is the nose so imagine your your grigri resting on the nose kind of just teetering on the edge there and the gate is open and you know one big fall on that and it would have ripped right off and you would have fallen oh yeah like that is that is sketchy that is that is crazy (laughs) so yeah but that was just an interesting article for me to for me to read and for i think it was it was good for us to share because in my opinion it teaches the importance of making sure you know your gear right you you use your gear and you don't use borrowed gear Mm -hmm. and at the same time you're active about making sure 
all parts of your system are set up correctly. Yeah, definitely. I think it's so important to kind of like before you even go outside and like figure out like, you know, all that cool trad stuff that is super cool. Um, for me personally, like I only climb with stuff that like I feel comfortable with. So like, for example, I use a triple action locking carabiner because I personally find that the chance of a carabiner going up to the side and then going in is statistically much less <laughs> likely than the screw getting in because like think about it like i'm a short person i have to move around a lot mm-hmm. in order to effectively belay people in a in a you know like risk managed like area so like i may have to jump or i may have to like you know take a couple spec spec steps back in order to like to pull out the slack mm-hmm. so i don't want to risk like a little screw gate carabiner coming a little bit undone yeah. during that process yeah and it's interesting that you bring that up because in getting more into the outdoor climbing world Mm -hmm. um and you know i fully understand that i don't know all about outdoor climbing right but but something that was kind of drilled into me and really hit home was that you when you use life supporting carabiners Mm -hmm. with screw gates you have to screw down so you don't screw up (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a fun little (laughs) phrase of remembering the best way to close your carabiners and so what that means is if you know imagine you have a carabiner right and you have to screw it it's Mm going to screw up or screw down you should orient your carabiner in the way that when it is in lock position you are screwing down so that Mm -hmm. it kind of goes with gravity so if it were to be flipped gravity could help bring that bring that screw gate you know away from the place where you want it to be locked um and so when you clip you then flip Mm -hmm. so that you have your carabiner screwing down Mm -hmm. and that prevents you from screwing up up. (laughs) yeah so yeah um this is kind of like just it's not even like necessarily like an accident but it is kind of like one of those things where it's like it's hey uh, yeah risk management make sure you know your stuff yep (laughs) yeah and make sure that you're comfortable climbing on your stuff as well Mm -hmm. um just want to read like a quick a quick quote from the same interview because they were also filming a movie. I should say. Well, oh, it was with that Jimmy Chin. Yeah, was it? Yeah, it was. Um, wow. Uh, oh yeah, it was for the Edge of the Unknown. End, yeah, Edge or of something? the Unknown. Yeah. Um. So I just coming out on Disney Chin. Plus near you. <laughs> <laughs> Go see Jimmy Chin. I actually love Jimmy Chin's work. I want to. Oh work yeah. With well, him he one did. Day. He did. Hey, Carolyn, have you seen Free Solo? Oh, my God. What is Free Solo? <laughs> Are you a rock climber? <laughs> Maybe. I think. <laughs> this is the second time. Every Never mind. I'm, that's, a, that's, a non, that's a non-joke. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say, we, could, we should do something every time we mention Free Solo in this, in this podcast, because we've already mentioned it twice now. Yeah. No, for, for, for listeners who have not seen Free Solo or who are not aware of the joke, it is very common for non-climbing humans to come you up to a climber and say, wait, have you seen Free Solo, the yeah. guy that climbs without ropes? And I'm like, yes, yeah. I know who Alex Honnold is. I, I, I do know who that is. Yeah. Thank you for asking me. But yeah, um, just reading a quote from Gad, um, who was helping out with this movie, The Edge of the Unknown with Jimmy Chin, quote, shit happens. I've been climbing for 40 years and every day I go out the door with the expectation that I could do something new and different. You can say it's stupid, but it's the human condition. We all make mistakes. You never sit out on a climbing day to do some stupid shit and have an accident. But sometimes that's what happens. It doesn't matter how long you've been climbing or how good your systems are. We make mistakes and we try to remove some embarrassment from that. We have to talk about these things to remove the expectation of perfection and the idea that if you're not perfect, you're an idiot. It's Mm. totally unrealistic. I really like that quote. I like that too. I'm probably going to be like quoting that all the time now with this podcast Mm -hmm. i think it's such a good quote yeah that's i like that you you talked about that too because our main topic for today is mental health and climbing and i think the perfectionist mindset 
often gets a lot of people in trouble so yeah. that's i like that you that you shared that quote thank you yeah thank you thank you for bringing up this thing yeah now we can have like a, a weekly quote and being like why do we talk about accidents and talk about that's all good these things yeah, yeah. time for the italian wedding soup yes. on this episode so <laughs> are we gonna talk about this one we have to because we talked about the meat and potatoes yeah so, so <laughs> every wednesday in the penn state this cafeteria this, this, was, this was yesterday yes yes <laughs> it was it was this week um every wednesday in the penn state cafeteria in the hub the soup of the day is italian wedding soup we know this was Wednesday. <laughs> and I don't understand what it is, but I'm obsessed with this soup. I think it's because it's so salty and it also has a good mix of greens and rice and meat in it. But there's just, it's just so good. And I, I like seriously look forward to every Wednesday. Carolyn's losing it over here. <laughs> I, I really look forward to having the Penn State Italian wedding soup every Wednesday. And so when we got together to talk about what we're going to talk about in this episode... I interrupted our meeting by saying, oh, my God, it's Wednesday. It's It's Italian Italian wedding wedding soup day. day. And Carolyn was like, what? (laughs) So we have named our main body section of this podcast in our notes, the Italian Italian wedding wedding soup soup of this episode, (laughs) which is mental health. Yes. Yes. And it's mental health. Talking about what we do in order to kind of like, you know, combat like mental health mental health like obstacles not climbing mm-hmm. talking about like the clump head space and overall like this is what we need to do like as climbers to make sure that we're mentally good um, yeah so yeah emma let's talk about competitiveness yeah so i think this is very prevalent to the two of us right now and especially the penn state climbing community because we have a new club team um yeah given that this uh this you know comp setup is something that's very prevalent right now within our community i think it's it's pretty important to talk about um so yeah yeah i don't know your experience with competitions or competition like events in the past carolyn but um from my experience i see that competing can either motivate people to do really good and it can uplift them inspire them or it can really hinder people from being their best and it can put a lot of weight on people's shoulders and i think depending on your relationship with competition um competing on a bigger scale in climbing can have one of those two effects. And I think that's, you know, competing in general, but I think in climbing, given that it is a very individualized sport, Mm -hmm. a lot of the time that can, you know, have a greater effect than if you were on a team per se. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree. Um, I think there's a lot of things in climbing that are super beneficial for mental health, like, you know, going out and getting like to exercise. But at the same time, like when you're in a competition and I even heard some people talking about this, like, um, at climb Nittany the other day, like just talking about like, you know, tryouts actually, I think for team and it takes such like a different headspace. We're talking about lead specifically, like with lead, there are so many more factors that can make it so much more dangerous. Um, not that climbing already isn't dangerous, but, you know, there's so many factors that can make it even more dangerous. And the fact that, like, we're trying to, you know, climb these things that we've never climbed before and essentially get as far as we can without coming off the wall, you have to do some serious risk assessment and figure out, like, 
okay, am I strong enough to do this climb? What do I have to do to get this climb? Where are my feet? Making sure that my leg isn't entrapped in the rope. Like, how can I, you know, make sure that I don't get hurt and that, like, I can go home, like, after this comp, whether I win or if I lose. A lot of people, the majority of people, I should say, do take that into account. But that's not to say that, you know, during competitions that people haven't gotten hurt um, or injured. And it's just one of those things that, you know, it, I think we should kind of, like, create, like, this kind of, like, not, like, I hate saying the word safe space, but like this this space where we can like talk about these issues, yeah. um, in a way that you know is empathetic and mm-hmm. also like with truth as well. For sure, yeah, yeah. I think this is changing in recent years, but mm-hmm. talking about mental health has been very taboo in the past. Oh yeah, dude. Um, but from my experience and you know talking to other people's experiences, like everyone is dealing with something, mm-hmm. and so I think talking about it in an open way is gonna you know help everybody yeah um, i don't know how you feel about that but no 100 percent. yeah it's gonna help like the more we talk about it in a way that's you know that's like helpful for others and you know is a productive conversation i think i'm all for it you know yeah. um that may include like you know telling some people like if you don't feel like you should do something or like if you kind of feel like if you don't like are not 100 percent into like whatever you're gonna do like on the wall don't don't do it it's not mm-hmm. worth it to like break your elbow or like tear your mcl yeah all of those things like you know so we're gonna be kind of talking about that yeah and i think Mm -hmm. yeah we can definitely get more into that when we're we're talking about comparing yourself to other climbers yeah definitely especially in outdoor climbing if you push past your limits oh there's a lot there's a lot greater chance of bad things happening yeah and that's like if you compare that to golf for example (laughs) like that just doesn't like you can't really fall off a cliff in golf right you can fall off a cliff have you seen Wii Sports (laughs) (laughs) I'm fire at Wii Sports okay I'm also fire at Wii Sports I beat Matt I don't know what you're talking about that's really great nice job (laughs) oh my god that's funny um but yeah so just kind of going back to uh, our, our first mental health topic it mm-hmm. is the competition headspace yeah um and i'll talk a little bit about my personal experience mm-hmm. with competition and the climbing comps and and how i see that yeah. so i have chosen to not compete for our our new club team that's here yep. um and it's because climbing for me has become you know i know you hate this but a safe okay. space no that's fine <laughs> i'm fine with like I kind of I hate overusing that's the word fair, space. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, space. I feel like people overuse it a lot. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no. So I think you know, climbing is is my little paradise. And yeah. I kind of grew up around very intense competitive mm-hmm. sports my whole life, and yeah. so kind of leaving that, coming to college, and being able to find a, a very a very chill, for lack of a better word, chill sport. Mm-hmm. Right. I think climbing depending on who you talk to what type of climbing you do has has different intensities and then a lot of current sports um and so i use climbing as a space to um just reconnect with myself reconnect Mm -hmm. with nature um and it's a space that i you know my my social life revolves around climbing and so if if i were to make climbing about you know how hard can I climb or how strong can I get or like what is the best grade that I can climb I think Mm -hmm. I would lose a lot of the really good aspects and it would my my perspective and my motivations around why I would want to climb would change and so you know I don't I don't want to be in that intense you know Mm -hmm. hard hard mentally environment mentally hard environment Mm -hmm. um and 
that is why I have decided to not compete because mm-hmm. I love climbing, but I know if I'm going to start comparing myself to other rankings or realizing that I can't climb something as hard to compete well in a competition, mm-hmm. like it's just going to weigh down on me. Yeah. And I think I am in a good spot where I am super excited to support all my friends and all mm-hmm. the community members who have decided to compete, but it is just not the choice that I think that would best help me stay positive yeah. in the world of climbing. Yeah. So that makes sense. Like, you know, even like, even though I am trying out for the team, like all of those things that you said, like about like, you know, realizing that you, you will have to climb harder grades that you probably never climbed before during a comp or like even like, you know, comparing yourself to other people. It's a very realistic thing that I've also had to deal with. And part of me is like, once I get to the comp and I know I'm going to come in last place, like how is that going to affect me mentally? And right now I'm like, that's a problem for later. Uh. Um, but yeah, I totally understand that. And especially like, especially like coming back from like your soccer background, like we both know like, <laughs> like intense. how intense it can be <laughs> yeah. and how like, especially, uh, although like soccer is a bit more like team based, mm-hmm. With individual sports, it's it's the same thing, but the entire team is yourself. Like your arm is one part of the team. Your right. left That's arm, interesting yeah, right. like your yeah. your legs are part of the team yeah. too, and they all have to work together. And if they don't, like instead of you kind of not saying that you ever did, but like instead of like kind of being like, oh, this person didn't perform well to their ability, or that person didn't perform well, now you have to turn around and say like, oh no, like I didn't perform. Well. Yeah, and, and that, that can be like a huge you know kind of obstacle for you yeah it's i think it's really interesting that you bring that up because when i did play competitive soccer i was a goalkeeper oh you were a goalie too yeah dude i'm a goalie in field hockey nice nice um and you know people oh yeah people always say in soccer that you're you're the last wall and Mm -hmm. in theory the ball had to get through every single other 10 people on the field before you missed the save but Mm -hmm. what people remember is is the goalie not making the save right Mm -hmm. and so that individual aspect over time, you know, weighs down on you. And mm-hmm. I think the reason I like this sport of climbing so much is that I don't, I can have that individual aspect, mm-hmm. but if I don't do well, it doesn't impact you yeah. or it doesn't impact other people, right? Like yeah. if I let in a goal in soccer, like the team is now losing, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that is a very interesting um contrast between sports that are individualized and sports Mm -hmm. that are a team because on one end the team aspect means you put less on yourself Mm -hmm. but at the same time if you mess up you mess up for everybody and so i think climbing has both that pro and that con to it yeah the 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 pro is that you're not letting other people down Mm -hmm. but the con is that you're letting yourself down and it's like completely yourself like there is no one to blame when Mm -hmm. you do poorly in climbing yeah so 100 percent. i think that was you know a, a good chat about the comp mindset and the pros and cons of being on an individual sport team versus Mm -hmm. being on a team sport team yeah um yeah and how do you how do you go about um dealing with you know potentially not doing great in an individualized comp how 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 do you go about grappling with that man i don't even know (laughs) um for like reference like i'm a strictly like v1 to v3 climber um, I'm five feet tall with zero ape impacts, meaning that my arms are the same width as my legs. Um, so it's really, I, for me as a shorter climber, I have to work a lot harder and like be a lot more creative in order to get the same results mm-hmm. as climbers who are, are of average height. Um, and it is, it, it's, it's been a lot for me because like I started out like not in the best shape 
and now I'm here and it's comp comp season is in almost one month, two yeah. months. It's in two months, kind of two one and a half months. And I decided to compete maybe because I wanted to stay on top of my health. Like I wanted to become more disciplined and I wanted to try competing in this awesome sport that I found. Um you know, like I did competitive marching band in high school, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like oh, I auditioned for competitive marching. No, everybody who was in band like just had to go right, to competitions. Right. Like there was no option. Mm-hmm. Um, being on the field side of that was super intense, especially like my freshman and like sophomore years, or like whenever we like traveled places. Like I've been to Arizona, um, just to travel, like you know, for um band competitions yeah, for bowl cool. games. And like when you're there and you're in a completely different place, you're you're 700 miles away from home, and your band directors are like, "All right, let's get it. Mm-hmm. Leave it all on the field." I'm like, "Holy shit! I gotta leave everything <laughs> on the field. If I fuck up, it's gonna show up on the video, and we're gonna get a horrible score." Um, yeah, I've had competitions where I've slipped on the field. Mm. I'm like, boom, like wow, like yeah, ankles in the air and everything. I've gone on the same dot as people. You know, oh, I've almost ran into field judges before. <laughs> um, it's a scary environment, but like you train for it every day. Yeah. And it's it's the same thing every time you rehearse it too. That's that's an interesting yeah comparison or, you know, contrast to climbing mm-hmm. because it is not the same thing every time. Exactly. No matter what no matter what goes on the route will be different for every comp that you do. Exactly. Um, and there's no real, there's ways to like drill technique and mm-hmm. tools. Like I always say climbing, climbing is like, like having like a tool belt hmm. where like, as you keep climbing, like you have little tools in your tool belt that you can use to fix the problem. Yeah. That's good. I yeah. like that. It's an but like metaphor. with marching band, it's solely, you know, learning the, learning the music better. It's solely mm. improving your marching technique. It's maybe adding like one or two moves here and here throughout the show to make it pop a little bit more. Um, some schools utilize props, so you got to learn how to use the props. But like this is all learned throughout like a three-month period. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it was like a month before our competition. But still, like you, you're drilling these things every day for like three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, not every day, at least like for band camp or whatever. But like even during the school year, like one of your classes, you're going outside, if even if it's raining, to like right. rehearse music or whatever. Yeah. And then you have after school practices and it's like a very intense environment of like, okay, I need to know my stuff. And by the time you get on that field, you usually know your stuff. Mm-hmm. Understanding that you're not going to have the same, same like, thing. S- right, speed climbing is one thing, Out right? Out of the question, yeah. But <laughs> in lead and in bouldering, you know, it's important to go into competing in those disciplines with the understanding that you're going to need to adjust for change and for variability. And I think yeah. being okay with not being sure what's going to happen in mm-hmm. the competition it's a is, have to is, like, is a good way to frame it so, yeah. so you don't have unmet mm-hmm. expectations. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, you know, kind of like deciding whether or not I wanted to compete. Like before I even like kind of got seriously into climbing, I've always been inspired and I rave about her constantly. But I'm always inspired by the work of Alexandra Miroslav, um, who's the world champion in speed climbing from Poland. Mm. This woman is 28. I'm like, this girl has had to put some like hard ass work yeah. into like obtaining that, you know, those levels of mm-hmm. like just 
pure can execute every single time it's like kobe bryant like like kobe bryant like always was that guy who showed up like four hours before right. a game mm-hmm. and would just be shooting hoops shooting hoops mm-hmm. shooting. everybody's like what the hell are you doing like you know you're gonna shoot it fine and kobe was like i just work harder than you and that's mm-hmm. why like everybody yeah. that's why he beat everybody so i was sure. i was super obsessed by like the work that she put in and she also like did not come from like a five-star facility like Lublin, right. poland is not it's not like Warsaw. It's not like Krakow. Like, yeah, it's not known for its climbing. No, it's very much like, it's kind of like, like just chill Western Poland. Where like, yeah. I think like one of her videos, she's training in a place that looks like a high school basketball gym. Interesting. Like, you know, um, and then of course she finally found the speed wall and then. For sure. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah, this conversation about the comp mindset, you know, we can chat for hours and hours about, but I think mm-hmm. part of you know, talking about mental health and climbing is is the inevitable comparing of yourself to other climbers, Ooh, right? And yeah. I think this relationship changes mm-hmm. the the more you get into the world, right? Yeah. So when when you're a new beginner climber, mm-hmm. you know your view on how other people are climbing is going to be much different than when wow. you're that good climber, right? Yeah, yeah it's the mm-hmm. like big big eyed, like <laughs> oh my god, I'll never get their mindset. Yeah. So how how did you approach? you know, seeing other better climbers when you first started climbing and then how how did your relationship to that change in terms of how you viewed yourself? Yeah. Um I knew like it, it's not new news that I'm that I'm a very short person and climbing is a very tall sport. <laughs> but, you know, I was always very intimidated by better climbers. Um like kind of like in a good way where I was like, oh my gosh, like that's so cool. Mm-hmm. But also like, oh my gosh, like I have a lot of work to do. Yeah, um, me as and well. because like being in the IM building, like people don't know like that kind of like etiquette of like, hey, don't send other people's projects, but like also my projects were V ones and V twos. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, that's, that's it's, an it was an unavoidable point. situation. Um, so like, I was like blown away, and like I would constant. It's good though, like because at the same time, like it's good to be humbled by the sport because i think like a lot of people like once they reach like once they can do like a v2 they're like oh my gosh like i'm in the intermediate level <laughs> but then they get to a v3 and it's like oh wow that's that's a completely different thing um and it's just very humbling to be able to see climbers like especially like in our little club like you know like john or like kyle or like maggie who are eons away from me but like they're still very open about like what they're doing kind of mm-hmm. in their climbing and like don't try to like gatekeep as much for sure yeah it's it's really like and it's also inspiring too like when i see like people like you or like maggie climb or jj like jj and i have always been like together in like climbing but like jj jj's exponential growth was much more like exponential it was than mine. yeah and like i was like dude you've only been climbing for a year and a half and you've already you're already doing like v6s he's mm-hmm. like yeah but also, like, I feel to consider that JJ is from a swimming background. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I, I definitely agree with you that coming into the sport and, you know, sort of starting your journey around the same time as other people and yeah. seeing other people, you know, drastically increase, increase their, yeah. their ability over you, that, you know, that does, you know, make you think in the back of your mind, well, maybe I'm just not strong enough. I'm not yeah. a good enough climber, you know, all these things. Um, And, you know, you also mentioned that when you first you know got into the gym you would see these more experienced climbers and you know the 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 natural reaction is wow I can still learn so much but that's also like wow I have so much to learn so I don't know if I could ever get there right and Mm -hmm. you know when I was getting into climbing I 
had an overwhelming feeling that I'm not ever going to reach as much knowledge as I am going to need to to be a good climber or, Mm -hmm. you know, gain as much technique or like how will I ever get to that level? And I think something that I've learned through that whole process is just the importance of being patient with yourself and also Mm -hmm. just being kind to yourself. Yeah, You know, it's not you don't need to be able to climb a V8 to say that you're a climber, right? And like that's my relationship with climbing has been a process of realizing that, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's partly why I've decided to not compete is because I understand that just because I can't climb a V8, that doesn't mean that you're not a climber. uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. That's, that's basically the point. And, um, being able to, like I said, be kind to yourself and realize that as long as you're doing something because you love it and Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, trying to be like other people, Mm-hmm. Or or trying to compare yourself to other people, it's more important in my opinion to, you know, look back and realize how far you've come. Yeah. Right. I mean, we talked about this in the last podcast episode. If I told myself five years ago that I would be trip leading outdoor climbing trips, yeah. I would never have believed you because I didn't yeah. even know like what a figure eight knot was, right? <laughs> like the most basic fundamentals of climbing. I had no idea what they were. And so yeah. While I can sit here and say, well, yeah, I can't climb as strong as some of the like national level female climbers in my community, that doesn't mean I should discount all of the progress that I've made, right? And mm-hmm. all all of the things that I have, you know, moved through to get to where I am. And so I think yeah. keeping a perspective of relating yourself back to your past is mm-hmm. is better than automatically looking at somebody and say wow I can never get there yeah dude if you would have asked me five years ago that I would be like competing for Penn State like as a climber I would have been like climbing's a sport (laughs) (laughs) fair like you know it's one of those things that like you know you have to remember like you don't have to like climb a certain grade just to start like just to start right you you just have to start climbing yeah you just gotta start Um, and yeah the hardest step is always to start and that's yeah that's anything you Mm -hmm. know yeah 100 percent um so um, now that we've kind of talked about a bit comparing comparing ourselves to others and talking about like what it takes to realize that like no you climb therefore you're a climber there's a big jump that happens kind of somewhere in your climbing journey called the v4 slash v5 jump also known as the 510 jump um and it's a jump that many climbers experience in their training where they just get stuck yeah. at one level mm-hmm. so do you want to talk about that a bit? yeah totally uh you know there comes a certain point in your climbing journey where your psych for the sport can no longer get you through a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and you need to start relying more on technique. And that happens around 510A through D, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, even getting into the 11s a little bit. Yeah. Um, and this jump was, you know, a, a time in my life where my relationship to climbing took on more of a negative side mm-hmm. like I was I was about two years into climbing mm-hmm. you know I had I had just gotten serious enough that I could get my feet wet on mm-hmm. the easier you know 510s like maybe maybe like a 510 I could get up a 510b yeah I would struggle up and then the c's and the d's I I you know I would really have a hard time getting up and it stayed this way for a year plus mm-hmm. right and so during that time and and trying to understand why I couldn't get past the tens I initially was was like I you know there's something that clearly I'm not doing right I'm not a good enough climber and Mm -hmm. it it got to a point where you know a year and I still couldn't climb 11s and I had been only climbing fought like five nines a year before and I was stuck in this in this 10 limbo range Mm -hmm. um 
I became very discouraged and I, yeah. and I started to want to go to the gym less because mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get through that barrier point. Um, and I think this is an interesting range because it happens to most climbers. It happens to yeah. a lot of people who, who climb in the indoor spaces. Um, mm-hmm. I was reading, you know, a, a, a few years ago, this article in the indoor climber, like gym climber magazine. Mm-hmm. And it, there was a whole article about, you know, that, that jump to mm-hmm. making it past the five tens yeah. and because that's where technique and knowledge kind of, you know, triumph over, like I said, you're, you're stoked to do the thing well and you can't, you know, it's not your, your pull-up climb. You can't do 10 pull-ups on the wall and then get to the top. Like you need to incorporate your skill set into that. And I think going through that transition, you know, between one to two years of my whole climbing journey, I think, and taught like taught me the importance of like I said earlier being patient and trusting the process mm-hmm. and just because you can't do something well as you want to not to give up mm-hmm. but also realizing that it's okay that you're not where you want to be and, and giving yourself yeah. grace for that yeah exactly like I'm kind of mid-experiencing the yeah dead right now the five ten totally. um I recently like have been starting to finally project like five tens and I'm like that person who can like easily mm, kind like 99 percent of the time flash a 5.9 to 5.8 and then once i hit the 5.10 like i'll get up like 10 feet and then have to take and it's like like i should be better than this like on a 5.10 um because i can like lead climb you know like i can like i know the technical moves i have to study them as a short person i've studied kin Jayam and like all of her techniques that she uses as a shorter climber and how, like, she just so gracefully, like, you know, builds triangles and stuff, like, on her climbs. But, like, you know, it's 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 frustrating because there are some things that you can that you can do. And that's the most frustrating things is, like, I can do some 510s in the gym. Mm-hmm. I can, like, you know, only have to take, like, three takes one time and then, you know, s- send it the next. But, like, part of me just wants to be able to flash it and just be able to, like, do, 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 do. Yeah, Done. it's it's that perfectionist mindset, right? Yeah. Like if it's not perfect, <laughs> what's the point in doing that? And I yeah. think that cripples so many climbers because you want to put your best foot forward. You want to show others in your community that you can do this well. And I yeah. think in any aspect of life also, you know, having that perfectionist mindset, while it can be a driver of success and it can help you to really progress, it often has negative side effects, right? Because yeah. you... You know, if you start thinking that you can't do something perfect and the only way to do something is perfect, you're going to view your relationship to how you get things done in a negative light, at least in my experience. Yeah. And same with bouldering. Like, I'm still at, like, the V3 jump. But once you go from, like, V4 to V5, it's a completely different ballgame. I agree with that. I'd argue that, like, you know climbing in general like once you get to like the, the v5 level that's when it gets very frustrating because there's times where you can't even like start like a v5 mm. you can't even like you know begin to imagine like the beta for it you can't even like you know figure out like oh like that's so interesting how does that even work like you know um and it's really kind of like a block where you just need time like i yeah one time of my, i yeah, agree one of my co-workers i was just talking with like the other day um I was like, well, I want to do this and I want to learn like how to do a figure four in case if I ever need it in a competition. And I want to learn like, you know, how to do dynamics better. And he was like, this is a sport that you can't rush. Mm. Like, you yeah, know, yes, you need you need time to learn these things. You need time for your fingers to build up that strength. You need time to learn, you know, 
kind of like what you can like learn your own space as like you know your body and figure out like you know you just need time because there's two possibilities that you can have one you're going to get so frustrated that like you're just going to stop and it's going to make it even longer two is that you're going to get injured and then Mm. you're going to you know then you won't be able to climb at all so would you rather get injured or would you rather climb and i was like stop that yeah that's (laughs) that's a very good way of framing it um I think that kind of goes back to the conversation of knowing your limits as well and, you know, being okay with the fact that you do have limits. Um, Yeah. I mean, just from my experience, I've found that, you know, trusting the process, taking time and being consistent with it too really helps you to get past that. And so if anyone who's listening to this, you know, feels like they are stuck at a specific grade jump you will be able to get over it yeah and it maybe takes longer than you want mm-hmm. but it is you know all the more rewarding after the fact when you realize that you kind of you know struggle through that and persevere yeah. through that yeah when you watch the videos of like yourself climbing and you see yourself struggling like 10 times on mm-hmm. the same yeah. route it's so fulfilling to then get that final record of you sending it and then just like playing those 10 fails before. Yeah. You know, it, it brings like a different, completely different mindset and satisfaction to the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. Well. Yeah. I think, you know, in this mental health, you know, mixed with climbing discussion, the only thing that I, you know, just want to additionally add to this conversation is that um, while climbing does bring a lot of mental health issues to the forefront given mm-hmm. that you know you're individually competing and you can compare yourself to other people and you get stuck at these grade jumps climbing also can be used as a method of healing yeah. and as medicine mm-hmm. um and my personal journey with climbing has very much been that and i i climb because it makes me feel better and it helps me to be happy and it is uh you know a place where people are very accepting and open of others and i think I think, you know, using climbing, especially for me in the outdoor spaces, like mm-hmm. being able to go and climb outdoors really puts life into perspective and it mm-hmm. it helps me to realize that, you know, things that maybe seem super intense and bad in in life, um, you know, when, when you're out there, any day you're climbing is a good day. Any, yeah. any day that you have the ability to go outdoors and, and spend time mm-hmm. climbing, in my opinion, is a good day. Yeah. So I think using climbing as a space to be kind to yourself and realize that, you know, you are allowed to have places and and time to, you know, reconnect with yourself and and just chill out and be happy because that's what climbing is for me. Um, I think it is important to recognize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same here. Like for me, like obviously like told my story last time, but like, you know, having like a space where I can like just see myself like physically improve, um, even if it takes like a long time is still really, really rewarding and you know i always my friends like always like to like say that i'm kind of like you said it the other day or i was like the mama bear of like the, mm, like the group mama bear vibes like, <laughs> you do you do um, give off mama bear vibes i know and my my other my other best friend um we were just talking one day and she was like you're like a like a little warrior and i was like <laughs> stop but like you know part of me like does kind of use climbing to kind of like you know like harness har- harness that like energy of yeah, like to prove to yourself that, that you, you can do are strong enough yeah that, sure. yeah that you can do strong enough um that you can do strong enough good grief that you can be strong enough um and it may take time but you know it, it's it's used to tackle problems so for me like if i'm having a, a bad day at work or at school 
or if I just need time to like clear my head and just like, you know, do some stuff, I just get on the wall and I just, you know, have fun, you know, mm-hmm. bring all sorts of other stuff into it, like music and like, yeah. you know, like outdoor stuff or even like faith. But, you know, having that medium to just kind of like do stuff outside of just like sitting in your room or any other sport really it's a it's a great medium to have totally um so yeah Yeah, i think i think that is kind of what inspired us to also create this podcast because we have found you know so much joy through what the climbing lifestyle and what the climbing community has given us that i think you know i i wanted to you know carolyn and i wanted to share a little bit of of that joy in this podcast and, and you know you know share with the world why we really have loved this sport and yeah. i think for me yes wall climbing does come with all the before mentioned negative mm-hmm. things such as like you know comparing yourself to other people and mm-hmm. not being able to climb what you want um it really for me and i think for you as well is, is a space for just loving life and, and being oh, yeah. glad to be alive mm-hmm. oh yeah 100 <laughs> to get deep yeah glad that <laughs> glad that you have like the body to be able to do stuff yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah so yeah for sure I think this is a pretty good combo about this was a good combo. health. <laughs> some, um, good, some good laughs about Wii Sports and oh yeah, an Italian wedding soup. Italian wedding soup. <laughs> hey, if you are struggling with mental health, go have some Italian wedding soup on Wednesdays. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously though, um, you know, reach out to people if yeah. you're struggling. I yeah. think I think the mental health space is one that has been not talked about in the past, but. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, people have tended to be a bit more understanding than not. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's important to, to, to recognize where you are and to be able to do something about that. Yeah, so. 100%. If you feel like you need to see someone or if you, like, are just not in a good space, we 100% recommend that you reach out and get help. There's a new there's a new emergency number that you can call, like, just for is it mental health. Is it 411? Or is the 411 the uh, Verizon hotline? <laughs> um so it is 988 so, yeah if you if you are having any type of like mental health like you know emergency um you know that that people like that you need emergency help for like we advise like please call 988 get the help that you need go see a therapist um because the last thing that we want for you or that you would even want for you is to get so hurt in a way that you can't continue on um for a while at least with your sport so we 100 percent encourage getting mental help we'll have links to like the national crisis hotline in this episode as well um maybe even like some climbing forums for like yeah um i was just you know doing a quick search here there are also a few organizations out there that combine mental health awareness and rock climbing Mm -hmm. into kind of the same space and you know some of these are the climb alongside mental health organization um, and then there's also the Climbing Grief Fund, which is um, established by the American Alpine Club. Um, yeah, it, it basically connects climbers to effective and helpful mental health professionals and gives them resources and conversation about um, grief and trauma and climbing, especially given that it, it tends to be a sport where bad things do happen to people. And do so happen, yeah. um, there definitely are resources out there. So these two I just mentioned were the Climbing Grief Fund by the American Alpine Club and then the one before that was the Climb Alongside Mental Health Organization. Yeah. So. And we will have links to those as well in the um, description box of mm-hmm. this episode. But yeah, overall, thank you guys so much for joining us for this episode. We talked a little bit about, you know, 
what we do as climbers. We talked about the access fund and how they're getting um, $30,000 to kind of do more cool stuff around the world with climate. We talked about Patagonia giving away their company and how, um, you know, how we feel about that and how, how we hope it'll work. We talked about making sure that your carabiners are screwed up, screwed down so you don't screw up. Yeah. Um, and then finally, the Italian winning super this episode, talking about mental health, the competitive headspace, the comparing yourself to others, and also trying to make those jumps in terms of grades, as well as climbing being a healing space for the both mm-hmm. of us. So um, feel free to check out our social media. We now officially have a Twitter. Woo-hoo. And I believe at the time that this episode is also out, we will have an Instagram. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. Good stuff going on. Um, be sure to check out those links at the end of this episode. But other than I, otherwise, we will see you guys soon. Keep on climbing. Keep on climbing.